Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. Doug, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, I just want to start by asking you to tell us about Amy Atwood and what you do for your job there. Adam, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I work, I'm the sales manager for uh, Amy Atwood Selections based here in Los Angeles. We, we kind of operate only in the state of California, but we rep uh, a lot of natural wines from throughout the world. Some of the greatest natural wines that you can kind of ever come across. Um, but yeah, no, I've worked for Amy for about six years. Uh, Amy Atwood, I, I, I just want to speak about her for a brief second, but she's kind of a legend in, in our, our small natural wine world here in California and, and kind of in, in the country. And she yeah, was she's one, of the, one of the people that, that is making it happen, like making the, making the yeah. natural wine scene, the scene that it is. So she started bringing in these wines about a decade ago. Um, and she was one of the handful, I think one or two or three books at the time representing these wines and so she's kind of been at it for a long time and and um yeah it's it, it's kind of a really fun time to be in this position and in this job and in these in this world of wine and natural wine so and what's your title with amy atwood uh i'm the california sales manager um but you know title schmeidel i just get out there <laughs> <laughs> We have yep. a small we have a small team. We got we have a couple that work up in the Bay Area. Uh, we have two here in LA, three here in LA, and one down in San Diego, uh, Orange County area. And so the, it's a it's a pretty small team. Um, I definitely probably just lend a little bit more of a moral support to them. Sometimes this job can be a little wearing. So I think it's more so just about trying to keep a good, healthy morale with the with the team, and that's kind of my gig. Otherwise, I just hustle. That's it. <laughs> how big is the portfolio? I mean, how you have a small team, so how how many you know how big is the portfolio of wineries that are with I, Amy Atwood? I mean, at any given time, depending on what's in stock. I mean, a lot of these winemakers are um, small production, so we get things coming and going pretty frequently. But you know, we're anywhere from a couple hundred to access to a thousand. Um, a lot of the stuff we bring in is mostly just. Is if that you imagine, SKUs you're talking about? A yeah, that, I, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's SKUs, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, more than a couple hundred, a few hundred winemakers, a couple thousand SKUs at any given time. I mean, a lot of the times there's also situations where if you can imagine a winemaker in, in Italy is only making 2,000 cases. They're going to sell a little here. Some goes to New York. And by the time Los Angeles gets some, uh, you know, it could be a pretty small batch. Um but that's that's also kind of this is also kind of one of the things that's interesting too is these are all the new markets emerging. So LA has only really come about in the last few years of becoming a really popular natural wine market. I mean, it's yes. really New York, Paris, Copenhagen, Tokyo, London, and Los Angeles, and there's a handful of other smaller cities kind of adopting these these um, these styles and this movement and this culture. And so it's really an exciting time, especially in LA right now. Yeah, wh- I mean. First of all, why has LA not had a wine scene prior to now? I mean, and and we're still developing. I mean, but just really, like I've looked around. I've been to Denver and been like, yeah. there are more wineries on one block in Denver where they're not even growing grapes. 
<laughs> than we have in all of Los Angeles. You know, it's uh, I, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've go ahead. Sorry, it's a, it's an interesting thing. I mean, there's multiple reasons. I mean, I've been in LA for 20 years now, and I was in the restaurant industry for the majority of that. So, general manager at Cobras and Matadors, and on Beverly, um, on Hollywood Boulevard, as Worked at Covell with uh, Matthew Kanner. I ran LNE Oyster Bar. I've been around. And, and um, so seeing that transition from, you're right, like, you know, sangria, cocktails, drinks. I mean, LA had a huge cocktail resurgence in the early 2000s. And that, you know, that really put a lot of bars and built up a whole downtown, kind of lifted the whole downtown up with the advent of all the mixology and all that. And it's interesting though because I mean LA has one of the best wine history. It has the oldest wine history of California. Yeah, I think. I mean, uh, you you've read the book City of Vines. I have not. No. Oh, it's a really good book. So I'll just put a plug in for it. Um, right. as, as part of the LA uh, wine scene, I think everybody should read it, City of Vines, and it gives the the really comprehensive history of the wine scene in Los Angeles. And I think I think you're right. Like prohibition was the like nail in the coffin but i think just the reason it was so pretty much eliminated the los angeles wine scene entirely is because it was already going downhill because the property values like all of downtown los angeles was vineyards and then it started growing and of course they had you know a train came in and they could put uh, basically warehouses and things right next to the train tracks where that they could make a lot money f- more for a lot more money from than vineyards. And so mm. they just started, you know, pulling out the vineyards and putting in other commercial real estate ventures. And then well, that, that makes those, came that make, boom. That makes sense that, you know, the oldest, I think the oldest California vine is a San Antonio winery kind of. Actually, you, I think there's an older one. Is there? Um, I, yeah, like Jasper and Amy just posted oh, right. something on on their Instagram from a mission, and it's like a two hundred and fifty year old mission vine that looks like, you know, the size of a tree, basically. Like, a, you yes. can't even wrap your arms around the trunk of it, and they're they're going to be making wine from it this year, apparently. Um, oh I got a little name droppy here, and just wanted to insert that that Jasper and Amy were talking about are Jasper Dixon and Amy Lifting Vista of Angelino Wine Company, the first winery to open in downtown Los Angeles since Prohibition. Yeah. And and that's the other exciting thing. The Mission Grape is now, we're making wine from it again. Um, I know. It's happening. I mean, I know you, you guys yeah, work you... with uh, Abe Scherner, right? And he's yep. he's just found some really like hundred over hundred year old mission vineyards that he's working with. Um, and I, and uh, who else? Yeah, Sabelli Frisch. Do you know Sabelli Frisch? I do not, but they're, about to they're not in your, po- no. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Abe's I said Abe's about, about to move, move his whole, um, yeah, his whole operation to downtown LA. Yeah, but um, yep. but no, no. It's funny the San Antonio. It's funny you say that about the industrial and the reference to the land is that that whether it's the oldest, or it's one of the oldest. It, it is surrounded. Yeah, by a total for sure. Industrial complex type. It's like San Antonio wine yeah. down in the middle of all the the crates and the shipping houses and stuff like that. So it's interesting. Yeah, but yeah. I love, I, that little courtyard in the back of the. Oh right. no, you're talking about San Antonio. Yeah, yeah. San Antonio winery. I mean, it's a, it's a bulk producing winery, but it's 
<laughs> it's LA legendary. It's been there for a long time. It was one of the handful of places I think that were allowed to produce through Prohibition. That's right. Um, yeah, they had the the contract with the Catholic Church wisely. Yep. 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 Smart. <laughs> Very smart. Very smart business. Um, well, why do you think LA has embraced natural wine so heartily? I mean, what's what's that about? I th- I'm constantly intrigued by this question and the answer because it, it, it's always going to change the answer is always going to change you have this multitude <laughs> I, I always try to just devalue everything to, to basic things and just cultural economic uh, what, what are these impacts how did this happen where did the shift come from what what is it who like our demographic for the natural wine is generally a began as a younger kind of audience it was really interesting to kind of try to get these wines in front of sommeliers trained sommeliers that had flavor profiles and guidance and direction under a certain time and a certain era i think i think just on a side note i i feel that what a lot of us consider traditional flavor profiles as far as like this pinot noir from california this big cabernet from napa this buttery shard these are trends in wine if you look at the whole landscape of wine over the last century or so that moment in time is the trend what we're happening what's happening now is kind of a return to what wine used to be these lower alcohols these fresher flavors these you know not as long elevages and so you're kind of getting back to this style of wine that was just supposed to be open and drank it wasn't a prestige item it wasn't something that had class or representation it wasn't like a status symbol with a nice car and a nice bottle of Bordeaux from, you know, Cheval or whatever, Cheval Blanc. <clears throat> These wines were just made to drink. And I think with, I don't know where, where it happened or when it happened, but you could put these little landmarks maybe just to make it simple on places opening at certain times in Los Angeles. Um, you have Lou Amador, the open Lou bottle shop. Uh, not yeah. the bottle shop, but the restaurant many, many years ago. Yeah, he was yeah. really, really one of the first to not only right. like show LA these wines, but he earned the trust, and and that's something you really learn about this business. Is it really comes down to the individual person? You have Jill Bernheimer at Domain LA that opened her yeah. shop somewhere around not too long after, and so you have these little moments and landmarks where you had people individual people making an impact and you can really point to those moments and now i mean you have some barn garden culver city um who focuses mostly on natural and organic wine you have silver lake wine obviously was a huge huge impact on the natural wine scene you can i remember being in the restaurant industry and just in silver lake and something as simple as this it was about maybe 12 or 13 years ago all of a sudden there was this little you started seeing Gruner Veltliner everywhere. And it wasn't a wine. It's a wine that we kind of consider common, and it's a liter bottle. It's easy to drink. But at the time, not many people knew Gruner Veltliner. It was mostly just like what we were talking about, Sau Blanc, Pinot, maybe a adventurous Rioja drinker. Maybe somebody would have some more Italian education, but it really wasn't the breadth of knowledge you had. So all of a sudden, I'm working in the restaurants, and I start seeing people, hey, do you have a Gruner Veltliner? And I was like, huh, that's a that's a odd request and you started seeing it and then you 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 know what happened is i go to silver lake wine and they're they're throwing around 
a liter Gruner Veltliner for uh, 13 bucks. And the equation of something new and fresh, but affordable and natural, I mean, all of a sudden you're hitting uh, a price point that a lot of domestic winemakers cannot hit. And so I think purely by default, you start having these styles of wine, which are a return, bright, fresh, clean, lesser olives, lower alcohol, lower sugar. I mean, you can you can drink a liter, eleven point five percent, twelve percent alcohol, no problem. Go back to work, easy. <laughs> Many so times. I just, Many I, but I, I'm totally going off on this, but there's a lot of these factors, and it's just like it's interesting. But I think you can point to these handful of places that really helped promote, and that the timing was great. Amy was there right ahead of it to supply the wines. These shops opened. You had these individuals. You had um, Randy and April at Silver Lake. You had these people that had an intent. They weren't just trying to bring in wines to sell. They were trying to bring in wines to share. And that was a huge pivotal moment, I think, uh, as far as you can point to those moments. And now here we are almost 15 years later, 10 years later, and these guys are still kind of running the show in town. So they're, they're completely invaluable to us and the, the winemakers we represent. Nice. Well, I want to dig into a couple of th- things that you brought up (laughs) um so you know and i love the values behind natural wine i mean i i i've seen a need for you know wine that is coming from vineyards that are not basically poisoned with a bunch of chemicals um, that is grown in a way that is like a, you know, as an organism, like a natural organism, treating it holistically, treating it regeneratively, organically, biodynamically, um, you know, trying to elicit a nat- like natural to me starts in the vineyard. Like you want a natural ecosystem, not mm-hmm. a synthetic ecosystem, not a industrial ecosystem that you're, you know, just using the soil as a medium for the chemical chemistry that you want um and then all the way up to low intervention like you want to express that venue when you have this beautiful natural piece of land that you're growing these beautiful grapes on naturally then you want to express that you don't want to like bastardize it with a bunch of additives or you know industrial processes to refine the wine into some thing and it's also this embracing of variation and change like we put a date and a place on bottles of wine for a reason you know that's unique to wine it's you know it's not beer it's not from a recipe it's not it's not liquor it's not made the same from a recipe year after year so you can taste exactly the same thing it's like we we bottle change and so we should expect change and so that's okay like it doesn't have to be a consistent experience from year to year it should be wild and new and fresh um and all that I love. The thing that, like, so you can then, I, here's the thing that baffles me a little bit. So you, and I love that it's sort of eliminating the class. Like it, it's an attempt to take class out of the wine. However, uh-huh. so you, you're, you're pointing to some factors that are like lower alcohol, fresher, less time aging, um, all of those things are don't necessarily. I mean, you could make a, a thirty-six month aged, 
you know, 15% Cabernet that is done with everything else that I said before, like a beautiful organic vineyard with no intervention, low sulfites and everything else. So why is it that natural is a style more than just its values? Like it's almost more of a religion rather than a I don't know. Then a then a <laughs> I don't know how to put it. But you, you know well, what I'm saying. No, like it's, it's I think it's simple. It's more like it's, a doctrine than a scientific like a like a yeah. No, like it's, it's more like it, a, it's ew. That's what my dad drank. It's straight up what it is. Right. It's, like, it's so simple. It's re- I mean, right, I mean right. I'm reducing it to a very basic value, but it essentially is like, oh no, that's what my mom drank. I don't it's I, counterculture at the, it's at counterculture. the most basic level. Yeah, and okay. I mean, this is—I mean, it's not—it's not just—it's not just one thing here, but it's like you know, what was the first thing that you drank, you Adam? What was the very first thing that you drank? Like, did you wine steal? wise? Yeah, anything. Where'd you? Did you? Where'd you get it? Did you get it from your dad? Did you get oh it from God, your mom? you did know, you probably it? was nipping some bottles from my neighbor's parents' liquor cabinet when I was like twelve, and I don't right. even remember. All, almost even every remember. single human in america's alcohol begins with some stealing of parents booze right (laughs) right so (laughs) to a degree um otherwise i'm sure we you know like you did we stole some friends booze and so anyway our exposure to those flavor profiles at that young age i don't know very many people that had their very first sip of booze and was like oh yeah dude that's that's delicious i'm i'm gonna hit this all day yeah maybe one or two we know those people uh, think well, I if it was peach schnapps, you know, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> or if it were white claw, if I had white claw when I was right. twelve, woof, that would have been a different story. Um, <laughs> no, but I'm—I mean, I'm—I'm I'm joking a little bit, but you know, there is this counterculture aspect to it, and I think sometimes there was this whole—I mean, even I experienced when I, I grew up in Napa. I grew up a white man. I grew up with privilege. I grew up working in wineries, and I—I I mean, I didn't. I didn't get handed anything. I made the choice to go work in wineries. And growing up in Napa, you can either just work in town, but when you're a kid, and if you can get a ride up to the wineries, you can make really good money. So <laughs> my uh, my first job was breaking down boxes at Sutter Home in the <laughs> in the cellar. And uh, I went from there. I worked at Trefetha, and I worked at all these places, just picking up knowledge over the summer uh, and doing this and that. And And I was trying to learn firsthand and so i would ask anybody i could questions that you know i got to work uh at trefethen and there's a guy named tony baldini and the baldini family is a pretty pretty good agricultural legacy in that as far as being some of the top vineyards at the time and so he would come in and i would just pick his brain i was 18 at the time and he was a farmer and i'll never forget shaking this guy's hands this guy's hands were just just leather just gnarled hard leather and and i looked at my hands and i'm sitting there in my khakis and a polo shirt with the softest little baby hands and and you know here's this man in the wine world that knows every single thing about what's going on in the dirt and that vineyard and that's the guy you listen to he was wonderful as far as sharing some things with the young me but at the same time the guys that were i was in that position (laughs) for lack of better terms with the soft hands and the suits, they weren't for some reason as willing to share their knowledge as somebody like Tony. And it became an impression. And again, these are just my personal stories. And maybe I ended up generalizing to a degree, but I sought 
the people like Tony up from that day forward and not the, the guys with the soft hands and the suits and ties and the classroom and the books. And I, right. I made it my point. I, and I did the books. I did the books myself. I'm a, I'm a psalm school dropout. I got halfway through it. Didn't, didn't really like what I was being, how I was being told things. I had already been in the wine world and I already had a couple guys like Tony Baldini. And my uncle is a huge influence too. He's a farmer up in Alexander Valley. He grows Pinot and Merlot um, and Chard. And uh, he's a big influence too. But these farmer aspects is something I was able to to identify as a better resource or at least a resource where I could understand the attitude better than I could the guys trying to, you know, what do you smell? And I would say something and they would be like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I mean, I'm a kid. Yeah, I get it. But, you know, I, I swear to God, I smell rhubarb or cherry or whatever. They'd be like, ah, no, you smell blackberry. And I was like, okay. Uh, but that, that was, I don't know. And that was. Wait, who these, was saying that to you? These were the. Who, I, who was, so I used to work at mustards. Okay. Mustards. Oh mustard, yeah. I worked all, no. I was just, I was just a hustling kid my whole life. And so I worked in wineries, worked in restaurants. These are summer jobs. Um, usually working both nope. at multiple times. There was a famous chef attached to mustards, right? Was that? Uh, Cindy Paulson. Cindy okay. Paulson. Yeah. She's, okay. um, she still got mustards. She did Cindy's backdoor kitchen and she's still operating. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so you were working there, and these were the the psalms that the these are some of the psalm teams. Just kind of, we would have some staff tastings, and there was it was just general disagreements. But at my age, where I'm really trying to kind of find, so they they conveyed the sense of there's a right and wrong about wine. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Uh, which which yeah, that's, as that's which as we which as we evolve with anything, we realize there there really is so many rights and wrongs, and multiple ways right. to get to the same place, and. I mean, that's really why I love what I do. Yeah, it's about exploration. I mean, that's oh. the that's the one of the biggest joys of wine is that it's you're gonna find new stuff all the time. Every vintage, there's new stuff. It's fantastic. You know, anyway, it's sorry. All I, I, but no, but you're right. Started. No, but to, but also to some of the things you were saying about the your relationship to the land and and the viticulture and having it. And I, and I mean, that's paramount. And I mean, I don't want to get digress too much, but one one of the best lessons I've ever had, and one of the privileges of this job, which is amazing is uh, the getting to travel and getting to meet these winemakers firsthand and getting mm. to hear their philosophies from their mouth. And a lot of them, I, mean, I think we, we spoke before and I gave the silly metaphor, but it was like, like a, a great ape and, 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 you know, thousands of years ago, a great ape in Africa puts a, you know, a stick into an anthill and extracts ants and learns how to eat. And the same, occurrence happens with a, another primate like in, in, in another part of the world in Asia or, or in Europe somewhere at the time and they've never met they've never done anything and yet they've managed to kind of come to the same evolutionary period and, and figure out a way to apply their tools and when I when I speak to natural winemakers as I've never spoken to each other and I, and I know there's a basis of this but a lot of the things said are very similar. They want these connections to the earth. They want to have their hands on their product. They want to know every single aspect from that vine and the dirt to that juice in the glass and see how it grows and see how it changes and see what age barrel does what, all while not participating really to, to any more degree than maybe trimming Observing. Hair. Observing, yeah. right. Yeah, I call it escorting. I call myself a wine escort. I I love that idea. Well, that and it's, I, I, the, it's the, a, we're looking for connection. This is one of my favorite parts of the job is having people like you come along. 
that are just getting started. And we've, we've had a couple too, Megan Bell, Joe Swick, James Flores, these guys in Santa Cruz and Oregon. We've been able to watch them evolve and grow. Jody, Jody and uh, Emily uh, Bricks in, in San Diego, uh, just watch them grow into these amazing winemakers. Now we've worked with them for several, several years and just seen them kind of figure things out and, and get to a point to where their wines are fully natural, but just unbelievably clean and healthy and have wonderful breadth, flavor profiles. So for me, I, I'm super excited to see where you're going to go. Just start here and go from there. Because you, I don't know, the philosophy is there. You're saying a lot of the same things that these Austrian guys say and the <laughs> Italian guys say and, and, and the French. That's so, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So... This is maybe a good segue. How how important is organic to natural wine? I'm, it's I'm a t- setting uh, you up for some follow up questions. Yeah, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it, it's it's this is a tough one because I have to put on the consumer hat for this one, and I think I think for us in our world, we kind of we can identify a vineyard pretty quickly if it's been taken care of or not, and there, there is a certified FDA organic labeling. So there are rules to that term that you can't really mess around with. Um, right. Um, so, but, but, yeah. but here's, here's the thing for the consumer is there are, and this is what I try to encourage our winemakers to do is to use terms that infer a sustainable model or at least a reference to natural. And there's tons of terms. I and mean, we, we in California, you dry farm a lot or old vine. Those are terms yeah. we see a lot. And a lot of the old vines, uh, they're, they're, they're old vines. You don't have to do anything. They're living on their own. Yeah. There's, there's a wonderful, wonderful website. If you really want to geek out called the, I think it's the American vine society or the California heritage vine society, heritage yeah, vine, I, heritage vine I, society, heritage vine society is a listing of all of the old vine, old heritage vines still, um, active in California and who's using them and who's making wine from them. And, you know, these, these are vines that you don't, they're living on their own. I, I guess the metaphor, <laughs> I always try to find the best metaphors for vines, but if you, you know, how do you start, how do you grow a vine organically? How do you begin to grow a vine, it, it, you know, from rootstock to a healthy, old organic vine? Like you, you have to take care of it for a little while, but eventually you're going to try to get this vine to take care of itself. And I've heard right. winemakers discuss this timeline two to three years and, and then, and then on the opposite side, and not to begrudge any farming method, but you will have some vines that still are watered and sprayed and they're 30 years old. And mm-hmm. the metaphor for that is like if it's like having children, if you train your children right to be responsible and take care of themselves, they're going to go on their own and live their life. But if you keep feeding your kids, they're going to be in your basement for <laughs> 30 years of your life. Yeah. They're yeah. going to get fat. They're going to be like, ma, I'm, is dinner ready yet? You know, it's like, it's like <laughs> that. The, and, and the metaphor for those binds is that sometimes you have to like manage. <laughs> you have well, to really. And <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, and part of it is the part, I mean, part of it is the, the commercialization of grape growing because Absolutely. there was a time when you planted a vineyard, you researched the space, you knew what the rain, annual rainfall was, you knew what the water holding capacity of the soil was. And if it didn't give the vines enough, you wouldn't plant there. 
just going back to what you said earlier about the the natural process of wine and how the season is going to affect flavor profiles. It's it's a fruit. It's going to taste different if a year is different. Yeah. I, I completely with you. But trying to get your average consumer who may not be uh, so into wine to where they're open to like just throwing $25, $30 at a bottle and see what it tastes like. They're yes, going to want that. That's, that's they have Fetzer. That's, that's like 13 that's right. bucks. I know what it's like. Yep. It's going to taste good. Da, 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 da. To them. Yep. So that's, that's yeah. the, yeah, that's the person we're trying it's, to change. Yeah. Well, do you think you can? <laughs> do you- so maybe, I mean, there's some wines out there that I, you know, you can trick people into <laughs> that are fully natural. But I mean, on the on the label, going back to what the label, dry farm, uh, old vine, terms like unfine, unfiltered. Um, you know, I, I think having an exact alcohol percentage to the second decimal is a wonderful thing. You're starting to see it a little bit more lately. It's a little funny, it's a little mm-hmm. joke in the wine world. But if you look at alcohol percentage, it goes to an exact number. That's a natural process. It's 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 a finished and finite process of fermentation. So they can get to the exact number. <laughs> do do will people actually change their tastes, or should we? I mean, I'm, I, I, you know, I'll speak from our the personal dilemma that I face as a winemaker, and and you're on this the other side of selling the wine, so you I'm sure know where I'm coming from, which is. I mean, obviously, I want every year the wine that I make to be delicious. Um, you know, I don't want it to be flawed. I don't want it to be just as like a like biting into a lemon. I don't, you know, I don't want somebody's yeah. experience with my wine to be negative. <laughs> obviously, and there is that sense of you know, do I make a Pinot in a pretty tradition like what has become the traditional way a pretty standard way that people have gotten used to i mean because you you know really it comes down to when do you pick the grapes it's like do i pick early and have this really you know like really acidic you know bright thing that's you know maybe fresher maybe whatever but maybe is not as pleasant it's not as hedonistic it's not as plush in the mouth and people you know it's you know maybe there's not any you know you have if there is any residual sugar, it's overcome by the, the the acid that's still left over. Or do you go the other side and make something that's a little bigger, a little higher alcohol, a little plusher, a little lower acid that that's a little more approachable? And because, you know, people like that is like the common drinkers preference, at least at the moment, because, you know, and it's like <laughs> I want to do both. Basically, I want to have like two separate lines one that is like you know appeals to this kind of person and one that appeals to this kind of person because i personally don't have a judgment about that i don't think it's like a better wine if i'm lower alcohol or higher alcohol well i would ask you this like what do you want to drink what would you want out of that do you, yeah. you want you want both though you, you i'm want... a little yeah jekyll and hyde-ish i like you know well, i mean they, like... they both have a different context they both will probably have a different exactly audience. and 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 when you think of wine as food it then it you know it's part of your meal then it really depends on the day and what you're eating with it and, totally you know who who you're drinking it with and like how hot it is outside you know what time of year it is comes into play you know well, that, so, I, all of that yeah. is so these are some of the beautiful things these uh, get to interact with these winemakers is that what you do see is they really, most of them create wines reflective of their personality and their area. And so you will go to parts of uh, Spain where it's 
hot, <laughs> it's hot as balls all year round. And so they make nice, fresh, light reds of, uh, from Bobal or these really unique, um, Catalonian grapes. Um, I mean, you can mm. go to like cold parts of Styria and they'll make, uh, you know, two year on the lees Sauvignon Blanc to give it texture and body and weight. And yet it's mm. still fresh and, you know, clean from the process. And so I, I love the idea. I, I mean, you know, let's be frank. You're, you're in this beautiful world of like being a agricultural artist. I mean, you, you interact with the earth, you make a product that is essentially a result of your relationship with, with nature. It's these basic carnal human fights or, you know, agreements. And it's sometimes you could base it up that conventional winemaking, winemaking is the controlling of nature. Natural winemaking is working with, with it, observing it, as you said earlier. And so yeah. there, there's an art to that. And I, you know, I think throughout life, we've seen artists who make art for themselves and people are drawn to that, whether it be inextricably a uh, way they've tapped into the sub subconscious or they straight up just make art for the people to admire and like knowing that colors and this and shapes are really going to resonate just generally with the psychology of the human mind. And so I think really, if you get, like I said, I really do try to devalue everything of these basic human things. And it really does help kind of help me make some choices and where I want to be and what I want to represent and what I want to do. I, mean, I grew up in Napa. I grew up with a conventional wine side. I grew up with all of that. And yet I, I want to focus and live in this natural wine world because it, it's just, it, there's a, there really is just a closer connection to what it's all about. And I'm not knocking that other side. It's just, just also to devalue it. I mean, this is a very, you know, personal driven uh, process with, with your relationship with the, the grape into the glass and your motivation probably isn't to make a ton of money. Uh, so a lot of the winemaking in some of the worlds that we're dealing with are their motivation is to make money. And, you know, we all have to make money. We all have to, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is trying to, this is what I do for my life. This is how I work. I work with relationships with nature. And so yep. my, my, my advice would be to make a wine for yourself, but also, like you said, recognize the, the popularity of certain styles. I mean, Packaging yeah. is something I did not used to believe in. I thought packaging. Oh, packaging. let's talk about that. I will. Oh. There was one quote I heard yesterday. I'll, I'll before we transition, but it was, um, yeah, we make we make we make a bunch of wine for ourselves, and we only sell what we can't drink. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's it, right? I, I, <laughs> I think some of the I some of the that. stories I've heard from some of the importers too. Some of the stories were like. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll present a wine and it'll have like a bottle cap on it. And the, the buyer will be like, Oh, did they, did they do that on purpose? Oh, that's cool. And the label and it's clear bottle. Like that was a good choice. And then you talk to the importer, like, Hey, how did that wine come about? And they're like, Oh, it was sitting in a tank. Uh, they usually just have the old guys in the village come around and fill up their growlers. I told them they should bottle it. They didn't want to. The, all they had were these liter bottles sitting around that had been there for a couple of years. They didn't know what to do with. And I said, well, put the, put it in there and put it in that and charge that. And then they did. And now it's like one of the most popular wines in the natural wine market out here. <laughs> and so it's sometimes, just... 
yeah, just all just like, oh, well, you got those over there. Those are sitting there. Yeah, we, we bought those for something else. We didn't know what to do with them. And, and then that's a lot of times how these things come about. It's really kind of fascinating. But, so uh, in terms of packaging, what have you seen? What, I mean, what lessons have you learned? What would you transfer to winemakers and other people who are trying to package and sell their goods? Right. I, I mean, well, first the contrast would be like, what, what is the packaging as we know? It's usually pretty, pretty nice. Like what's your favorite what, in your mind? If you close your eyes, what's your, what's the bottle you see from maybe 10 years ago that had a cool packaging? I always think of frog's leap. Frog's leap always pops in my head. I love frog sleep. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty elegant and simple and yeah. nice little. Yeah. Um, but not necessarily like a Bordeaux type bottle with the Chateau. And the, you know. No, I, I mean, I love the look of those things. I especially love the look of like burgundy labels with the extra little yeah. oval label up at the top on the on the right. you know on the shoulder of the bottle, and you know, I don't know. There's some. It's probably more just a, the associations I have with burgundy bottles, having been in love with Pinot Noir for years and years and years. So, <laughs> but um, but then you look at them on a shelf, and if you don't if you don't know a lot about burgundy it's just a sea of letters you know yeah. it's like you know like when you see one by itself and somebody's pouring it at dinner you're like oh that's classy and nice but when you're in a retail shop and you look you're like i have no, I have no like, idea just yeah. like spin me around and blindfold me and i'll pick one out you know that that like, that's side note that was a fun moment in my life when you could finally read a fucking burgundy bottle and you're like jesus <laughs> like i actually know the the rose yeah. from that that clothe that they come right, from or whatever right. i'm that's like a, oh yeah. you that's premier crew with the one er okay i got you okay. <laughs> um i'm like what's a oneer? what's a oneer, man um but <laughs> that's so funny that's true but now and yeah. now you contrast that today and and also uh you know the 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 green bottle, the dark bottle to protect the wine. Uh, important. You only, you only ever saw red wine in dark bottles. White wine was in clear bottles. That's about it. And so now you're seeing, you're seeing the wine now. And yeah, we had a, I had a couple winemakers that were, he does, he does the art for his wine. And he said something very profound, very serious. He's like, you, everybody will drink with their eyes first. And, mm, and I love to, that. Yeah, right. Drink with your eyes first. And so to that point, when you're putting, like you said, when all those wines are on the shelf, all those wines are on the shelf and your average consumer, even myself, if I, what what is your eye drawn to? Is it drawn to that burgundy label? Is it drawn to that chateau label? Is it drawn to these clear bottles that show the liquid that are just beautiful, bright, clean? And, you know, that tends to be these wines that resonate when, when, when I, as a salesman, can take a picture of a wine that's in a clear bottle, has a cool label, it, it, it's much easier to have the buyer understand that just by the visualization of the liquid as opposed to just the mm. bottle. And so those are little things uh, that I'd recognize. Just kind of, and it's also, it, it's also like transparency, you know? I mean, I think that's really one of the efforts we're trying to do here is like there's a lot of these... These terms, these organic, we don't quite know, and sustainable, we don't quite know. What does natural really mean? But yeah, if you can be transparent, here's the ingredients, here's the juice, here's the label. Nothing too complex. 
I'm think... glad you brought that up. So let's talk about ingredients. How many, like, is is this a requ- I don't know. I should add, I mean, the bigger question is, do, do you at Amy Atwood have requirements for the wineries that you bring in? Like, and, and if you do, what are they? What are those, like, requirements that they must meet to I'm, be I'm... considered part of the family? I mean, we, we definitely lean on the the natural side of things, but we do have some wines that are under the conventional winemaking method to where there were some certain yeast added. So, I mean, as far as the full natural goes, we don't have any chemicals in our wines, but there are some wines that we have some added yeasts. And so yeah. for those for those that maybe don't know, if you're doing natural wine, you are supposed to use a, a natural yeast that comes basically on the grape on, or... Yeah. Or a winemaker can actually have a, a coup de pee, or what is it called? Oh yeah, like where they've already started a bucket going, and yeah, basically have a yeast they, starter, right? Yeah, which is usually also still from like grapes that came, you know, and were just crushed and allowed to ferment naturally. Right. It's usually natural. usually they'll just do a quick pass. Uh, they'll get that fermentation going, and then they'll do the harvest and use that starter to help promote. Right. So anyway, I mean, they're still using the natural yeast, but it is another method. But it, but if you use an inoculated yeast, a yeast that is designed to promote fermentation, yep. just by the simple definition of natural wine, nothing added, nothing taken away. I mean, that that is at its basis. Sold. Right. So even if you are taking something that has a natural derivative, you are adding it. And so, and so there are some who would disqualify you. I don't think anybody's going to be I don't know. Natural wine police. I guess we are having natural wine police. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Well, I wonder like when we get into the point where there is an actual certification like they're doing in Europe now, like this is because I just had this conversation with, I think, one of the largest biodynamic wineries in the world, but definitely the U.S. It's uh, Montanora State up in Oregon. And you know, I was asking about, you know, can you add in biodynamics, can you add yeast or, you know, because I kind of was under the assumption that it was very similar to natural, that it had to be native fermentation. Um, but he said they they do this process where they bring in, like you said, basically the starters, they'll, they'll yeah. do a, like an early pass and they'll start maybe like 10 or more, you know, a dozen different little batches of natural fermentation. And then essentially they're doing like a natural selection. The ones that are doing the best, they then propagate. Like, so they, yeah. they, they're doing a native fermentation, but they've already eliminated the one, you know, the, the fermentations that are not going to perform well, because they're at such a large level. I mean, these are hundreds of thousands of gallons of wine that they're fermenting. They really can't take the risk of something, you know, like of a stuck fermentation and all right. that, and, you know, an right. off fermentation. So and that and that should be noted that, too that that's the luxury of of I mean that's the I shouldn't say the luxury but that's that's the problem or the one of the battles that natural wine producers have that's why you don't have these mass productions of them because of this exact scenario it's like total yeast right. I, I I for some reason I haven't see I have no problem with that I mean the yeast is right. na- native of their place they right, they right. want to have a secure yeast that they can help promote i have no problem with that and so i don't even know why in my mind i would have a problem with inoculated yeast and not that it's pretty similar (laughs) but i guess i guess it's coming from a different place but even so even to that point it's like these terms and these what we allow is kind of per discussion based i'm like okay yeah that that that's that sounds reasonable yes why do you think that 
there is uh, so much dogmatism around natural wine though. Like, I mean, I guess maybe that's been my problem about it is you've already used the term police. Like why, why are people so up in arms? Like so defensive about their, like, why is there such a right and wrong aspect I think, to it instead of like, Oh, you know, I think like, it depends on who the, you talk let's to. Let's talk about it and debate it. It depends on who you talk to. And so when you okay. talk to, when you talk to the farmer, the, the, more often what I've seen is the, the farmer is the one defining this for us. And, and it's not that he's out here being like, hey, you should say this. You should say this. They are simply saying, this is what I do. This is how I do it. And this is my intent. This is how I learned it. Now, our job is to go and take this out into the world and see if we can translate it. So when we talk to the next person who might be a buyer, or somebody that demands a certain level of information. I mean, let's be frank. I mean, half of this wine world is based upon these definitive things. Like, it's definitive that Latosh is a great wine. I wanted to da 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 da. Mm. And it's like, right. what you, it's what you said earlier. It's like the definitive thing of natural wine is there's nothing definitive. And it's hard for people to really kind of grasp it. I mean, it exists in the, in the culture that we are now, in this young culture that, is excited to try new things. I mean, I can't, can't, I mean, orange wine, everybody just wants orange wine right now. I don't think people, <laughs> I, I mean, I actually literally had, a. I can't say anything. I, I had a, <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had any bad orange wine that you did not like? Do you like orange wine? I, I, I like all wine. I'm, I'm with you. I think there's a context to every single bottle of wine. Yeah. You just have to find it. And I mean, you can... Okay, I'm sorry. I was fishing for maybe what you were afraid to say there. No, <laughs> no. I, <laughs> I was afraid to say that I actually had a, a prominent uh, wine person. <laughs> I'm trying to be so democratic right now. <laughs> who, who, by all accounts, is somebody I, I had looked to as, as you know, pretty knowledgeable and informed and, and this is two a year ago. He said, "So this this is made with oranges. There's oranges in here." And he, you know, this person, did not know. Wow! Uh, but orange wine was simply a reference to color and skin, and not uh, an actual yeah. orange added in the wine. Which I'm not making fun of anybody. It's just one of those things where it's so new still. Basically. It's so new still, and so there still needs to be some some definition but no I, and maybe a, it's and maybe the the name is misleading maybe it's better to call it you know skin, skin content, content white yes, or something sir. like yes so that's that's funny that, although i i've have heard the joke where somebody's come in and asked for a skin contact wine and they're like uh, or a skin contact white and the person pointed to the entire red section yeah <laughs> technically <laughs> it is <laughs> um, yeah so this is this is where you get the stupid wine jokes these are stupid dad wine jokes <laughs> that is like it's like oh you want skin contact well here's your red yeah for sure but no our job is to try to help and 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 you know explain these things and relate these things to people and and um so so yeah by the time we get to the winemaker philosophy which is really beautiful and and i've actually you know teared up a couple times listening to these people talk about their relationship with the earth and their family and what they do and how they do it why they do it um you take that back to (laughs) Well, you take it back to Los Angeles, and Los Angeles is a big <laughs> hustle bustle city, and there's a lot of people out here that that, like you said, need to get their hands in the dirt, need to get out to a farm, and need to get into some agriculture. I think there's a relationship that they're missing. 
it's a connection. And so my job is to try to connect that to them. And, and sometimes I think journalists get a hold of this stuff and your average consumer, we're just trying to define these things. And they're just really hard to define because it, it really is there. I think there's a basic philosophy, but it really is a, up to the individual to kind of help us define these things, the farmer in particular. That context and that connection, yeah, really opened my eyes. It helps you understand the wine and and getting the sense of that wine and literally drinking it in the vines where it came from with the people who live with it and make it is a is you know how do you translate that how do you it's how hard do you it's hard to Los because that's where it all makes sense that's where it all makes sense yeah and and it's hard but there is a way to do it it's it's um like i said it it goes back to the relationships you have but um but you you a lot of the things i learned about uh, i learned a lot from the customer service aspect working in the wine bars working in the restaurants you learn so much about people's palates and how they talk about wine and and your reference to palate is spot on. It's like a lot of the palates growing up. And that's kind of what I was trying to get at earlier with what, what you drank from your parents' cabinet or what you were exposed right. to. You know, what have you, you know, I, I used to, used to tell this story about view the palate as a muscle. Like some people are born with a gift, just like some people can jump and run fast. Some people have to train and earn it. The palate is the same way. And mm -hmm. so what you train your palate on can completely uh, create your flavor profiles that you may or may not even be aware of. So when I started getting into the, the customer service, I stopped talking about wine and I started talking about the person. It would make, it would make people very uncomfortable sometimes. I don't normally have to preface it with like, a, a, you know, I'm not going to talk about wine. I want to talk about you for a second. But, you know, I know about wine. I think you do too. But let me, let me try to find you something nice. Uh, it, right. was, it, it worked. I, I didn't do it a lot, but it was one of those things that kind of got to the point where the majority of us use a handful of things to condition our palate on a daily. It's usually coffee, tea, uh, Diet Coke, which is my father. My father would drink tons of Diet Coke. Um, <laughs> uh, coffee, tea, uh, Diet Coke. What kind of cocktail are you drinking if you smoke? And then there was the always once in a while there was a very rare I only drink water person which oh wow that was boring um, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding but like what like so do you participate in one of those things like coffee tea um, like what's your cocktail go to like had a rough day coming off of work you just want to these are the questions that you're asking people this is what I would ask people me? and and it, I'll, I'll ask you this yeah. too but. It, doesn't necessarily work on wine people it doesn't necessarily work on people that have uh, yeah how do i say that so like you know drink and eat a lot have exposed their palate to a lot of things it usually works for people that are just like i just want you my mean palate sluts yes like me? <laughs> 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 just take anything that'll come your way jeez dirty palate sluts. <laughs> yes um no, it's true. I, I that and they there's you know now these uh, online, um, I guess portals. They start by quizzing you and they try right. to dial in their recommendations based on your answers to their quizzes, which is really trying to dial in your palate. And um, I, and, and so I, you're saying you're saying that's what you the approach that you take now in terms of of working with customers, working with wine buyers is you learn to ask questions first rather than make recommendations. Yeah. First. What's your goal? What are you trying to achieve? What do you want to express? One of the things that's really important from the buyer stand 
point is, are you, is this person present? I still go back to the sommelier or the person on the floor being present. If those are the, those are the people that are able to translate to their following their regular customer base, what they like. And, and a lot of these people have returned customers and they'll create, they'll just walk in eventually and be like, Hey, what do you got? What do you got? That's new. You gave me this thing last time. And, and that's complete. Yeah. Aside from sales, that's just trust of the community. It's trust of your people. It's trust of the people that come in. I mean, we, we let's face it. The wine world is still just, it's unbelievably populated. There's so many, so many skews, yeah. so many wines, so many makers. And so for your average consumer, I think, the value of having a Lou or a Jill or a Zach at Tabula or to have an Eric at Melody or, you know, have somebody that they can walk into and just be like, Hey, what are you feeling today? And then they walk out and they're happy. I mean, that is a huge equation too. Yeah. So, um, That's anyway, great. I just got caught up promoting everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I can say a lot of good about many of them as well. Jill has been super helpful to me. She's the one that was like, you should think about clear bottles. And I was like, really? Yeah. Oh, man, I went, I went back and forth and back and forth. I looked at like, I did all this research about how light can, you know, change the flavor and like the, the different colors, like amber is supposedly the most protective of light and even better than the dark green. And, and then I was like, all right, I'll do. I'll do clear. <laughs> we we have a we have a guy in Italy that does a really light blue, really really light. Yeah, blue. yeah, that's um, interesting. Yeah, I just think like, it, I just think also the metaphorical meta. It's a metaphorical thing just for the whole what we're trying to do. Exactly, we're trying to be transparent. Yeah. We're trying to show you that yeah. we're we come to the vineyard, see how we do this, see what we do, like to ask me questions. It's like it's one of those things. I think we're we're trying to define these things, and and I just think. Diamax, we juxtaposed to that old psalm world. And again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but we've all been in a restaurant where there's been a psalm coming over, over explaining shit and just being like, dude, I just thank you for your, <laughs> thank you for your expansive knowledge on that wine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we just kind of want to deconstruct that, that attitude. And, and again, I'm not knocking it. It's, it's really important to have authoritative people in, on all fields, but I think of the wine world as just a time now to where it should be more accepting, should be more open. It's it's a really rewarding, rewarding position, and I absolutely love it. But I will never, ever, ever stop learning new things. Uh, I mean, I just you know learned about you and and what you're doing here, and I'm super, super excited for for you and what you can participate in this LA thing kind of coming up. We have we have uh, like you said, Jasper oh, yeah. downtown. We got Abe Schoner coming in. Adam Vervolis in Pasadena. So there's a lot of stuff happening in, in LA with wine right now. And it's super exciting. So Yeah, it is. It is. Thanks. I I, I am excited. Sca- I'm scared and excited, but mostly excited. I Should mean, there's be. I my my mind is I, I just I feel like LA is such a blank slate. Like I, I go for walks. I live in South Central and like I'm at, I live like at the base of the Baldwin Hills. And Wendy and I were walking uh, up the hill doing like an exercise walk, and I was like, I should talk to these people about leasing their hillsides and putting terraced vineyards in there. <laughs> like, I'm like, this is, this would be perfect. Like these, yeah, these hillsides are like, there's just wasted land in the and, center of LA that would be like, be like, there's this beautiful wind corridor that blows through like right, like right across the, those hills. Anyway, I know, but I, but, I, yeah, I, but like, you know, but I was just thinking this, <laughs> I was just thinking this this morning or, Caught, caught a little marine layer and I'm all the way in Lincoln Heights. So it's pretty, 
it's pretty far inland, but there's definitely some, I mean, I think you'll probably get it out that south central, get that little early morning green layer to help give that. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. We're, I mean, where we are, it's actually like a, the, the, the coastal climate comes pretty far inland, inland because we're right in the, like the basin, the LA basin. So it creates this channel that funnels the wind right along those, those hills that create the Baldwin Hills and the, like where, you know, where Culver city and all that is. And it, and it really like, we get a beautiful breeze every afternoon that like cools everything down. Baldwin Hills Um, AVA sounds pretty nice. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) Sounds pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. So, uh, you know, final couple questions. Uh, So how should a winery or somebody who's, how should a winery prepare for working with a distributor? How should they like set themselves up for success? Like um, what expectations should they have and what, you know, what's the best way to. I mean, I mean, yeah, the, our whole role for you would be to do the work that you may not have time to do. Um, like I said, Amy's been here in LA long, longer than she's been operating. I've been in LA um, in the restaurant industry for 20 years and we have a, you know, it's basically what our job is to, is to, to know everybody and know everything. <laughs> So <laughs> it's kind of our job to make sure we can communicate to everything, but, but that's our job to know all the accounts, to know the movements, to know where these wines will work, how they work. And that's something that may take you just as a small individual winemaker time to, to figure out. Um, I, we had a okay. young one wine, one, a uh, young winemaker, um, now on her third vintage with us. And so <laughs> she'll know what I'm talking about, but she, she came out here for uh raw fair. The first raw fair, I think it was two years oh, yeah. ago. And as Brandy, a, as a, as to, to show her wares, basically. she got, she, she got to show her wares. She participated. She awesome. was then, but, but she was literally brand new and nobody really knew her. And we were trying to get her involved and it was kind of this really, I admit it was really, you know, we do feel very protected of our winemakers. And when they come to town, we really do want to take care of them and show them a good time. It really is that. It really is like we want to take care of you and make sure you're happy and good and go to the bars with the restaurants Well, when, when they're open. And so we had a situation where we had many winemakers and everybody was getting along. But this one in particular just was so brand new and so new that nobody knew her. And so she, she kind of just, I likened it to... I'm a, I'm a basketball player. So I likened it to maybe like when Michael Jordan lost to Detroit. He's not going to allow it to happen the next year. Like <laughs> the next year, like that year, it, it's not the right metaphor, but she, she just wasn't able to participate at the level I think she wanted to or what we had hoped for her to do because she was, nobody uh-huh. knew her. But she had done a great job. She had planted some seeds, she had met some people. The wines were fantastic. And then she came, and then we did a market visit of maybe about six months later with her new releases. Wines went great. People fell in love with her. They're like, oh, I remember you. You were at the, the thing, and da-da-da. Now her wines are allocated. They sell out immediately. People ask for them on a frequent basis. But it was mostly due to her coming out here and being present, kind of suffering through some of the <laughs> that little maybe hurdle we all have to get through just so people get to know you uh, and understand you and see where you're coming from and see if you're authentic and see if you're the real deal. And so that's, that's great. Kind of a little process. Uh, but now, uh, she, do you think the raw, uh, 
the raw wine festival tasting thing is is a valuable thing for people to get involved in i do i do i think it's Great. it's really the only opportunity like i said i mean if you can now there are requirements to that you have to you have to yeah. meet certain requirements right so yes so isabelle legeron uh runs that she's um very prominent she, i think she's actually helped to some degree help define uh some of the natural wine laws that france enacted um, yeah. So she runs the festival, and so yes, there are requirements. So actually, actually, if I'm if I'm correct, I think they derive yeah they derive some of the requirements from the raw fair uh, requirements for being able to enter into the fair. Um, so yeah, she runs that. You have to have some you know minimum sulfur and natural process and healthy grapes. Yeah, but otherwise, nice. for you know, the growth of natural wine in Los Angeles, you, you, this is an opportunity to just cut all the shit out of the way. You can get face to face with a winemaker. And, yeah. and I, and I, and I know it can be a little bit of a crazy time and there's a status to it and there's some, some things like that. But at the end of the day, if you're a true wine lover, you, you do not get this experience unless you're traveling to the wine uh, fairs in France, uh, the wine fairs in Italy or to the actual winery. So it, it, it really is uh, unbelievable. I mean, you've you got Uda Gao here. You've got Christian Cheetah here. We have Strekoff here. We have some of the most prominent California natural winemakers here all in the same house. So for somebody like me, it's a, it's like the freaking all-star game. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, any big ideas that you're interested in right now? Anything that you're <laughs> geeking out about? I mean, there's so much to this and so much to what's going on and coming i think i think what i'm really looking forward to is california and seeing what's gonna happen here um hey that's great i i I think you have a lot more people here that now maybe for lack of better reference have a more euro reference for farming and and what they want to do is not necessarily the traditional uh, paso napa model of bigger bigger fuller fruit i think you're going to start seeing some transitions um i'm also scared a little bit i think you're going to start seeing you know i'm (laughs) i don't want to get too deep into it but it's like once you start seeing capitalists come to natural wine we're going to be in trouble once you start seeing people trying to make money off it's going to be a little tricky because there's a lot of stuff and so right before we talked i did read an article today about uh truth wine have you heard about truth Truth wine? Truth. <laughs> <laughs> is that it's is that the brand name? No, it's a style, oh. uh, Adam. It's oh. a, it's truth wine. It's truth wine. Um, oh, I've tried to coin the term wild wine. That's um, a good. Yeah, wild wine would be good. Yeah. <laughs> think, truth wine. That truth. means. <laughs> what, what? I, I don't mean shit. Apparently, I don't know. <laughs> apparently it doesn't it it didn't qualify it didn't have any other requirements to even lean towards it being a natural wine but it's a health and wellness brand that they're just trying to rebrand i guess so be be careful out there people be careful yeah well i mean there's a big news this week with uh, the release of the celebrity wine that was touted as clean wine clean wine Um, there you go yeah 
the same. We don't need to go into that. But yeah, well, well, <laughs> well that being said, I would encourage anybody out there if you're if you're on the search for the good wine, it is about the individual. So it's going to be about that that small shop run by one or two people. It's going to be that that restaurant that's boutique yeah. with the psalm. Those are really the places where these wines end up, and it just I don't know why it's just, it just ends up being a through line from the mindset from the farmer to us as the distributor and the buyer and and you the yeah I really you, you've mentioned transparency a couple of times and I I think you know, if I was speaking to consumers, that would be my big recommendation was like support transparency. So when you find it like that, you know, yeah. promote it, like buy it, promote it. Cause there isn't, I mean, I've found most times when people aren't transparent, when they don't list ingredients, it's cause there's stuff they don't want you to know. You know, it doesn't look good if they, if they are transparent because of that. They don't want you to know. Um, but, uh, but yeah. I think what also I've realized is from a practical standpoint, what we're asking a lot of our people to do is to make an extra stop in their life. And I mean, if you just imagine the old getting off of work at five, having to go to the store to get dinner, maybe picking up a prescription, running your errands. I'm now asking you when you get your wine to only go to a specific wine shop because that's where these wines are located. And so it, it does become this really weird, like, how do you make these wines easily accessible to a broader audience so yeah. it, you know it's a, it's kind of this catch 2022 at the same time we don't want to because these are finite limited wines that don't have mass production so i would always right. give them like a the metaphor i'd give some people is it's a high school kiss you get it once it's just a memory forget it move on like that's a lot of the wines a lot of the wines yeah. you have to see once and then next vintage that's it I, I, I actually wrote a blog uh, article called "You Will Never Able You Will Never Be Able to Drink That Wine Again." Yeah. Um, <laughs> sort of that, with that exact sentiment, like it, it is. There's something that fleeting ephemerality of wine is part of the beauty of it, and you should, yes. you know, the idea that we always want to repeat. We we always want to repeat pleasures that we encounter, and right. wine's one of those things where maybe you get a second bottle if you're lucky, and then no. But these are the these are the memory. lessons. Of, these are the lessons of the bottle. Lessons of the bottle. You, yeah. you embrace it. You enjoy that moment. You you and yeah. hopefully you do exactly what you did when you're up in Oregon, where you're actually able to stop for a moment, and be like, nope, this is this is pretty much it. This is the best. This is the best bite. The best sip. The best sunset. Yeah. The best company. The best table. And honestly, like after all this stuff, all the stuff we talk about, all the stuff we try to achieve, that's literally all it comes down to. It comes down to that table, the right people with the right sip and the right bite, the right time and the right moment. And if you get one or two or three or four of those in your life, that's a good life. It's a good life. If you get more than that, <laughs> fucking lucky as hell. Man. But that's really ultimately <laughs> what I think your effort with your hands in the dirt, my soft, pretty hands representing the <laughs> wine. I mean, ultimately, we all get down to that place and the person that's trying to figure it out and buy it from both of us, if we can all just sit down at that table and have those moments, it's really, really, really what it, it's all about that. It's all about that. Doug, Doug I want the, the picture that we use for this episode to be your soft, pretty hands. <laughs> 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 I have I I uh I used to I used to dabble in uh in acting here in Los Angeles years ago and uh the last oh, thing is I that what brought you no nah, it, it was it actually you know it didn't um it okay. was it was the, the dot com bubble burst in San Francisco oh, okay. I was living in San Francisco this is early 2000 and uh I had had a friend down here 
living and I couldn't, I got laid off and just graduated college. I couldn't do anything. So I came down here and did the old, uh, I'll give it a try, you know, and yeah. uh, ended up booking, booking some commercials here and there. But I did the last, very last thing I did was several years ago. And uh, we, you're, we got, you're we got, a hand model. Well, I was a hand model. No, we got booked to do a commercial and me and a group of guys got flown to Denver to shoot this commercial with the NASCAR driver. And uh, we go out to a bar that night. We did We did the rehearsal. We had to shoot the next day. So we go to a bar that night and, you know, even, I guess we stuck out in Denver, just being LA guys and looking the way we looked. So this group, <laughs> this group of uh, young women came over and just, just were like, Hey, who are you guys? What are you doing here? And, uh, we're like, Oh, we're, we're in town working and yada, yada. And so she just, one of them just grabs my hand and runs her finger around, like along my palm looking for calluses. And then she just gives me the most disgruntled look, throws my hand down. She says, you don't ride no horse and walks away. <laughs> and ever, ever hilarious. since then, I've been, you know, myself pretty You've been trying to toughen up your hands. <laughs> yeah. 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 After uh, I get off, that's... we get off, I'm going to go chop some wood after this. <laughs> that's hilarious. I was actually a horseback guide in Colorado. No way. In Colorado. There you go. You yeah. must have done well then. I probably did better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's hilarious i love that that's that's emasculating and <laughs> yeah <laughs> humiliating that's so great thank you for sharing that <laughs> my pleasure my pleasure I like to i like i know my hey, how, place. Yeah. <laughs> how can people get in touch with you if or do you not want people to get in touch with you how can people you know um, learn about amy atwood or yeah. you know what, what do you want to promote here give us a give us a url or, a, or an at a handle. <laughs> I mean, you can, um, <laughs> I, I can, I, I have a personal Instagram handle. You can follow me out. I do do some business out there, but it's swimmy at swimmy D. Um, my last, my D at swimmy D S W I M M Y D. And, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, nothing's really going on right now, but normally through that, you could, you could come meet me at some tastings at some shops. Um, Always love to see. So you you promote some of the stuff that you're doing with wine through that. Yeah. So sometimes we'll get invited to come pour at a shop. I mean, obviously nothing right now, but there's times where um, you can view on my Instagram. You can go back down there and you can see some events from the past. Um, I also would encourage you to follow at Amy Atwood Selections. It's a much more active at Amy Instagram. Atwood Selections. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's all the kind of incoming news about where you can find our wines, uh, what wines are coming in. Um, some of these wines move super fast, so it's really nice to stay abreast of it. So Amy Atwood selections at, on the gram will get you that. Um, nice. And she's, uh, the, the website is amyatwood.com basically, right? That's it. Yeah. Amyatwood.com. I mean, we're mostly a distribution, uh, channel. So I, I, that being said, thank you for having me on. I don't, <laughs> I'm, uh, Oh, thank you very much for doing this. I, I don't, really appreciate yeah, it. I don't normally get to, to roll my mouth like this so thank you i usually have to be the one <laughs> listen um but us being awesome. a distribution channel we're mostly the middle middle ground so we would more or less have information pertaining to where and when you could find these wines as opposed to say uh where you could buy them that sort of thing so yeah you can't buy direct from us but we'll tell you where you can get this stuff okay great well, thanks again. I think that's 
that that'll let you go now. I've I've, I've kept you long enough. I think. Yeah. And, no. I uh, so. I totally ran my mouth. Thank you so much, Adam. No. No. <laughs> You've been great. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Doug. And we'll talk again. I can't wait. 